Well, good morning. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here. And I once heard someone say that if you actually find the, church, the perfect church, you should leave because you just messed it up. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm just so thankful for you. And as I mentioned earlier, this is our two-year anniversary as a church. And man, it's one of those things where it feels like two years has been forever and a day at the same time. And I just want you to know how much I love you and care for you and how excited I am about what we've been able to do over the last two years, but how much more excited I am about what's coming up ahead of us as a church. And we did launch this church brand new two years ago. Many of you in the room were a part of our launch team. You actually helped this get this thing started and up off the ground. And um, one of the questions I got asked when we were first starting the church was why? Why start a new church, you know? Some people say, well, there's plenty of churches. They're all over the place. You can't miss them. Everywhere you look, there's a church. And I said, I know. And, and first of all, I'm not so sure we could have too many churches. I think having the presence of God's body and his family all over the place is a great thing. But I also know that we looked at, at the community and we said, man, there's something that we feel like God wants done here that isn't specifically being done by a church here right now, and that God was calling us to play our role in what he's doing in this community. It's not bigger or better than anyone else's role, it's just different. And we felt like God had something specific he wanted us to do. And so as we're looking at the last two years and looking forward as a church, I wanna talk a little bit today about why this church exists and what our mission is. In fact, we're going to take a few weeks to do that and starting a series today called This is Family. And uh, this is a series we do every so often. We just change the content when we talk about who we are and what we're doing as a church. And so we're going to talk about why we exist as a church. And we'll start really broad today. And it's important to understand why you do the things you do so you don't just do them because you've always done them, but you do them with purpose. I heard about a guy who was stepping up onto the scale in his bathroom and his wife saw him and he sucked in his gut. His wife said, you know, you know, that doesn't help, right? And he said, of course it does. How else would I see the numbers? You know, <laughs> it's important to understand why you do what you do. So I want to talk a bit about that today. You might look at Carolina Family Church, and, and first of all, if you're new around here, you might see how proud everybody here is of our church, everybody wearing their shirts, and of course it doubles because it is St. Patrick's Day, so the green shirts are out in full force, um, but you'll see people all over town with the CFC stickers and hats and all that stuff, and that's really the only sort of, if you want to call it marketing, it's the only marketing we do, and I love that because it's always got a person attached to it, which I think speaks well of who we are as a church and what we're doing, and uh, so... Uh, there is a method to this madness. Everything that we do at Carolina Family Church is intentional to help us accomplish our mission and our vision. And I want to talk today broadly about what our mission is, why we exist. And um, our entire mission statement comes out of the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and get ahead of the game and turn to the book of Ephesians, you can get there. We'll be starting in chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about the four elements of our mission statement. Jeremy mentioned them earlier in the service. You'll probably see them uh, on people's shirts and all over the place uh, at Carolina Family Church. If you go to our website, it's the first thing you're going to see because we want people to know who we are. It's four things. Know God, find hope, live free, do good. It's a process. It's a cycle. We're all in it ourselves and we want to be in it as a church. So I want to talk to you about each one of those elements, where they come from in Scripture and why that's so important for us. Uh, as we look back and as we look forward. The first part of our mission is to know God, okay? Our mission is to know God, which sounds simple, but it's not as simple as you might think. And it may sound complicated, but it's not as complicated as you might think. 
We know God by studying the scriptures. That's how we get to know him. We, know he, we get to know his character. We get to know how he operates. We get to know what his promises are, what his plans are for us. And it's incredibly important that we do this first because it's the base on which we build everything else, that we know God. And as much as we hate to admit this or see this, the reality is there are a lot of misconceptions out there about God, about who he is, about what his character is, about how he deals with us, about what he promises us, all of this stuff. And every misunderstanding of God leads to a misapplication or a misunderstanding of God in our life. And so we want to know him as well as we can. Not who we want him to be, not who our culture tells us that he is, not who he, we, what we think he is. We want to know who God really is. Part of the reason we take our whole mission statement out of the book of Ephesians is because at the beginning of Ephesians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who helped start this church in Ephesus, is writing to them to keep them on track. And he starts with some very basic tenets of what they should believe and who they should be. And so we believe that we can take that and translate that to ourselves and say we should believe and be the same things. So we're going to start with Ephesians uh, chapter in chapter 1. But one of the reasons this is so important is because uh, there are so many misunderstandings of God out there. I was watching this week a video on YouTube, and it was a pastor, and he had just recorded this kind of a heads-up video. It wasn't a sermon or anything. He wasn't talking to a crowd. Just a heads-up video, and he was going on what I can only call a rant about a particular sin issue that people deal with. And what that issue is doesn't matter. But he was going on a, a rant about the sin issue that some people deal with, and he started identifying or personifying people by that sin. And then he started getting more and more upset about it until he finally got to the point where he, this is what he said, and I couldn't believe it. I was so mad when he said it. He said, God hates them. And unless they repent of their sin, he will never save them. And I wanted to reach through the screen and just like grab the guy, not by the throat, because that would be too aggressive, maybe by the shoulders and just shake him. Be like, no, that is not who God is. That is I, I've studied the scriptures and that is not who God is. God does not look at people that way. God does not hate people. Now he does hate sin, there's no doubt about that. And he doesn't want us to stay in it. He wants us to grow and to become more like Christ. But when he was saying, he said so specifically, God hates these people. He said, these people, that drove me crazy too. God hates these people and they have to repent before he'll ever save them. And I'm like, no, God loves them and he wants to save them and then help them work on the sin issues in their life. But we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to God. That's a complete misunderstanding that people have. We can come to God as we are and then he works on us. All right, he fills us with his spirit and he works on us from the inside out. That's what he does. So anyway, so there's so many misconceptions out there. It's why it's so important. And I think it's why, why Paul starts this way uh, with the, the Ephesians. So he says this, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he just said, I heard how, how great your church is doing. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, this is the first thing he says, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says, I heard about your faithfulness and the best thing I could wish for you, the, the 
first thing that I pray for you is that through the, through the wisdom and revelation that you might increase in your knowledge of God, that you may know him more and more, to know him more and more personally. And I have to say that this is, this is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. It's my prayer for our church, that through wisdom revelation, you would increase in the knowledge of God, that you would know him more and more and more. It's like the root thing that when that is healthy, everything else above it grows in a healthy way. But when that is not right, everything else above it is unhealthy. And so we need to grow in our knowledge of God. We find that in the scriptures. That's why, uh, you know, in our weekend services, like we're doing right now, Music is awesome. I love music. I'm a musician. I, I love to sing and I love to be a part of the band. And it's a fantastic thing we do when we get together. But we always dedicate more time to teaching than we do to music. Because the teaching helps us specifically learn to know God more and more and more. And the music encourages us in that knowledge. But the knowledge comes from the word of God. That's why we spend so much time there. In our Carolina Kids uh, ministry, which is going right now. A lot of your kids are back there. And you're thankful for that, by the way. Um, they're doing a great job in serving your kids. They're going to do crafts and they're going to sing songs. They're going to have a blast and they're going to play games and they've got all this cool stuff that they do. But the most important thing that they're doing is they are learning about God. They're learning to know him. They're learning about his character and his attributes and how they're going to apply those to their lives. Our student ministry which meets every single week. They spend a lot of time hanging out and, and going and doing things, go to concerts and, and you know, cookouts and things like this. Uh, but the most important thing that they do is they learn from the word of God and they discuss it together in a small group environment and how they're going to apply it to their life. Because the knowledge of God is the base of everything else in our faith and it's the base of things in our church. In our groups, groups are a great way, by the way, to get to know some people, to develop relationships and friendships in our church, but that's not why they exist. That's a side benefit of groups. That makes the groups more effective. But our groups are designed so that you and the people in your group together can know God more, can understand his word. They are strategic, intentional discipleship communities, not social clubs. So everything that we do in our church is designed to help us to know God more because we believe that's where it needs to start. And I got to say, as the pastor of this church, I look over the past two years and say, I know God better than I did two years ago. And as I look at many of your lives, I know that you know God more and better today than you did two years ago or one year ago or six months ago or two months ago or a week ago. And if we're doing that, and if you see that happening in your life, then we're being successful as a church. So that's the first part of our mission. We want to know God. The second part is to find hope, to find hope. And hope is in short supply in our world. When, when our church first started, one of the, the first things we wanted to do, and this happened behind the scenes, was to assess what was being offered in this community as far as helping people. What ministries were available, what resources were available to people. If I needed help, if I was in a bad spot, where would I go? What would I find? How would it work? We wanted to know all of that, so I assembled a team of people who assessed that. They made calls to organizations. They talked to people in positions of authority in town to get a lay of the land of what's happening in Rowan County and what's being done well, what's not being done well, what's not being done at all, basically. We wanted to know what the lay of the land was so we would understand where we fit as a church because we don't need to go redo something that's already being done well. We need to find what our place is, what our role is in this community. So I put that team together. They started uh, gathering research, and ultimately it culminated in a really fascinating meeting. 
they were able to gather in one room. We were all sat in one room together. Um, one of the county commissioners, Greg Eds, county commissioner Greg Eds, Kina Grubb, who's the director of Rowan Helping Ministries, Carol Herndon, who is the, the chief financial officer of the school system. Uh, uh, let see who else was there. Beth McKeithen, who is the director of Prevent Child Abuse or OAN. Marvin Moore, who's the principal of Eisenberg Elementary. We all gathered in a room together to talk about what's happening in Salisbury what's happening in Rowan County, and what might we be able to do to help. We talked about a lot of different things in that meeting, but the biggest thing, and this surprised me, the biggest thing that came out of that meeting was that every single person around the table said there's one major issue in Salisbury that is not being addressed. They said there is a general sense of hopelessness that exists in our community. And they all said, we don't know how to fix it. And I immediately thought, I do. <laughs> we do. It's the, idea, it's the idea that my life is never going to get any better. It's, my, it's, my, it's the idea that my life is never going to change. It's the idea that I don't have a purpose, that I don't have a future, that I don't have value. And because of the situation I come from, the socioeconomic situation I come from, or, or the, the, the issues, the disorders, or the addictions, or the hang-ups, or the other things that I have because of my past, my present, or what I perceive my future is to be, because of all of that, I'm never going to change. Nothing's ever going to get better. I don't have anything to look forward to. That's the problem. I don't have anything to look forward to. And I thought, we have something to look forward to. We have hope. We can do something about that. That can be our place. That can be what we do in this community. Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. And immediately after that, he says um, in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, like opening the eyes or the opening the eyes of your heart, if you want to see it that way, to open your mind, to open your spirit, to open your soul, to open everything about you to this understanding, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? That... There is real hope to be found here. That you may know what is the hope of your calling. That you may know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. I'm going to say it a third time just to help it sink in. You ready? The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling. Of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Now listen to me, that that scripture says there's a hope in our calling, that there's a glorious inheritance in the saints, and then that's where our hope is supposed to be, that's where our eyes are supposed to be set. And, And hear me clearly, God wants to help you now. He wants to help you understand who he is now. He wants to work with you in the situation that you're in now. And and the the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us. And that's a great hope now. But you need to know there's a greater hope later. There is great hope in Christ now, but there is greater hope later. And that hope is that when we pass on from this sinful fallen earth, we are going to be with God for all of eternity. And that happens through the death of Christ, faith in his death, and through the power of his resurrection. That, one, that we are going to spend all of eternity with God. And so no matter how dark or how bleak or how scary or how frustrating our situation may be here on earth, no matter what family we may come from or what neighborhood we may live in or how much money may be in the bank account, none of it matters because we're not looking here. We're looking there. We're looking forward. And so if we can keep people's eyes up, eyes pointed up, away from what is broken and what is sinful and what is fallen and toward what is good and what is holy and what is pure. That is great hope. And so we want to find that hope. And if you've never found that hope, if you've never put your faith in Christ and gained the confidence to know you're going to spend eternity with God, you should do that today. You should put your faith in Christ today. Believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and he rose again so that you can be made right before God. And you can have that same hope that we have. There's hope of salvation. And there's something we call the hope of sanctification. That God is going to, in this life, sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. That I'm keeping my eyes up in what's ahead, but that in the meantime, God is molding me and forming me and using his power to transform me from who I was into who he intends for me to be. To become more and more like Christ. So that in whatever situation I find myself in, if I'm becoming more and more like Christ, that gives me hope for that situation. Not that it's going to work out the way that I want, but that I am going to grow to be more like Christ. Earlier when we were singing in the song, You work all things together for my good. We sang that song. My good is not my situation working out. My good is not getting a promotion. My good is not necessarily my bank account going up or anything like that. My good is becoming like Christ. So God works all things together so that that can happen. And if I feel like I'm becoming more and more like Christ and I'm learning to respond to my situation differently than I used to, that's real hope now. Knowing that I'm going forward to be with Christ one day, it's unbelievable. And it's the best hope that we could possibly receive. And, the, and the, one of the great things about being a part of a church is that we're doing that together because it's not always easy. It's not always easy to take our eyes up off the situation and put it on what's coming. We get bound down and we get bogged down in the, in the minutia, in the problem, in the frustration, in the fear, in the anxiety. Together, though, we help keep our eyes up. We help, we, we help center each other on what's most important. So we want to find hope. We want to do that together. And then as we found that hope and we're going through that process, then we learn to do the third thing. Our mission is to live free. To live free. I really think that this is one of the things that begins to separate us from a lot of other churches. Because there are a lot of churches out there, and I want to talk negatively about churches, but I just want you to be aware. There are a lot of churches out there that don't teach freedom. They teach bondage. They don't, they don't teach the joy of the Lord and fellowship and communion with the Lord. They teach fear of the Lord. And I don't mean fear in the respectful way. <laughs> I mean fear in the, in the negative way. That if you, that 
It's like, if you don't attach freedom with hope, then hope isn't really hope and freedom isn't really freedom. Because if I'm going through life and I'm being taught wrongly about the character of God, that God is still angry with me, that God is still punishing me for my sins in an eternal sense, and that I might earn my way out of salvation. I might make too many mistakes and tip the balances away from myself, and then I'm not going to be with him for eternity, then I'm going to go to hell. A, that's not a biblical teaching, and B, I won't ever feel free, and I certainly won't have hope. I'll live in fear. But we believe that when we have been saved, when God has forgiven us, when he's written off our record and he's, he's put it on Christ, that that is past, present, and future sin. So you don't have to ever be afraid of earning your way out of salvation because you never earned it in the first place. So let's see what Paul has to say. Um, this is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 9. So we jumped into, into uh, chapter 2. But God, who's rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Grace is undeserved favor. We did not earn it. We did nothing to merit the love and the forgiveness of God. It's not by a work we did. It's not by being good enough. It's not by checking enough boxes. It's not by holding enough doors for people as they're walking in. It's not by picking up litter off the ground. It wasn't by, you know, making a donation to a charity. That's not how we were saved. We were saved by grace, the love, the mercy, and the undeserved favor of God. And he raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here's the key, verses 8 and 9. Listen carefully. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I was not saved by doing anything good for God, but by what God did, which was good for me. And that was Christ giving his life on the cross to pay for my sin, to wipe it clean. So that I would never have to fear God again. So that I would never have to worry about the lightning bolt coming down from heaven. I would never have to worry about getting squashed under God's thumb. I would never have to look over my shoulder. But that I could live in the freedom of my salvation and in the power of the Spirit to run free. And, and to, to, to learn from his word, to listen to his spirit, and to learn how to live the life he's designed for me to live. He's created that kind of freedom for me. We didn't earn our salvation. We can't unearn it. It doesn't work that way. And I got to tell you, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world because I know what it's like to live under rules, to live under in chains, and to constantly be preoccupied and concerned with what I was doing wrong. Rather than living in the freedom to know the Spirit is giving me the power to do what's right. It's a totally different mentality. And, and make no mistake about it, just because we have freedom doesn't mean there isn't sin. Trust me, I sin all the time. I make mistakes all the time. I know what God's standards are. God's standards are extremely high, by the way. So I know I fall short of those over and over and over again, but I know that God has already forgiven me for them, and I know he wants me to get better. And so to, to live in that freedom, to know it's okay, it's almost like a child with their parent. You know, my kids know that I have rules and I have expectations. My goal is to raise them in such a way that they aren't always preoccupied with the rules and expectations, but that they're seeking after my love. And that they know that when they mess up, they're always going to be my child. They never have to be worried about that. 
I believe it works the same way with God. But to know you're free and to feel free are two different things. And I want you to feel free. The, the knowledge of freedom and the experience of freedom are different. And so when you think about God, when you think about your life, when you think about what the Spirit is doing in your life, I want you to think forward and hopeful and with promise instead of with shame and with grief and with regret. I want you to think with, I want you to think with confidence. Not to say I could never be that. I could never be perfect. I know we say, what's God's standard? God's standard is perfection. We can't hit that ourselves, right? That's why we need the grace of God but that God wants us to become like Christ. And you might, like me, look at Christ and be like, I, I don't know, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't be like that guy. He's better than me. He'll always be better than me. Sure, of course. <laughs> he lived without sin. I, I, I have not done that. But that doesn't mean I won't try. That doesn't mean I won't chase after it. Doesn't mean I won't get as close as I can possibly get. And I want for myself and I want for you to be chasing after that. To become as much and much as much and much like Christ as we possibly can. I was interesting, a lot of us have been steeped in an environment that, that did not teach freedom, that taught rules, regulations, control, fear. And it's hard when you find out that you're free to actually feel free. It uh, it makes me think of the Shawshank Redemption. Y'all know that movie? Fun fact, I got engaged during that movie. It's true. We were, I don't know where it was in the movie, but uh, Jess and I were on vacation and, um, and uh, we were watching the movie and everybody else who was vacationing with us had left and I had these plans. I had, oh, it was so romantic. It was going to be awesome. Longest night of, <laughs> longest night of, longest night of Jess's life. I, uh, I, uh, I had these plans. We were going to the beach to, uh, this is a little bit of a divergence, but forgive me. Uh, we were going to the beach in Wildwood, New Jersey, so the Jersey Shore. And uh, it was going to be so romantic. At night, I had brought my guitar and I'd written a song for her. And that's right. And we were, we were, I was going to go out on the beach. The place we were staying was supposed to be right on the beach. And so I was going to go out on the beach and I was going to build a fire. And then I was going to have her roommate send her out, her college roommate, send her out onto the beach. And the fire would be going and I would play the song that I wrote for her. And then, and then I would get down on one knee and I would bust out the ring. And I would, I would uh, you know, propose to her and it would be so romantic and everything would go perfect. And then A... We got to the beach, and the place we were staying was five miles away from the beach. <laughs> and we only had one car that we'd ridden down there, all of us together, like ten of us or something. And uh, the other aide had taken the car to go somewhere else. And so now Jess and I were stuck, and it was like a, it was like a, a, a mobile home, like one of those permanent mobile homes, you know, in a, uh, uh, like a campground or whatever. And so we're, we're in there. And uh, we decided, we, we didn't go with them, and uh, we decided we were going to watch a movie, and so we put on Shawshank Redemption. And obviously there was something in the movie that inspired me, and I was like, I was like, <laughs> I don't know what it was. I don't, wanna, I don't even want to speculate. Don't do it. So, uh, but, uh, but about halfway through the movie, I just stopped it, and I was like, that's it, I'm doing it now. And I went out, and I got the guitar. I got the guitar. I came in. I sang to her, and I proposed to her, and she said yes, and then we watched the rest of the movie. So, <laughs> but, sorry, that was a big divergence. Um, but in Shawshank Redemption, you got the one character, Red, who's been in prison pretty much his whole life, 
And then he finally gets released when he's, he's much older. And he gets out. And he, if you've seen the movie, he doesn't know how to live. He spent so much time in captivity, he has no idea how to live as a free person. And he can't handle that kind of, that kind of thing. And I think that in a lot of ways, many Christians have that same mentality. They have lived in an environment, a church environment for so long that taught them not to be free or not to feel free that now when they realize they do have this kind of freedom, they don't know how to handle it. And some people, when they get that kind of freedom, they go off the rails and they start sinning and doing all kinds of things they shouldn't be doing, thinking that it's okay. But there's always still consequence for our sin here on earth, and it disrupts our fellowship with God, and it disrupts our fellowship with the church and has all kinds of negative consequences. So it's not like we get a free pass and do whatever we want and everything will be great. But some people, it takes time to realize, hey, I don't need to be so preoccupied with all of these rules anymore. I need to understand God as much as I can, know the scripture, and follow the spirit. And that's a process that we go on, and that's why we're going on that as a church together, learning how to live free. And then when we know God, and we found hope, and we're living free, it takes us to action. And that's the next piece of our, our mission, to do good. Our mission is to know God, find hope, live free, and then do good. And I want you to know, God has work for us to do. He has a plan. This church was not planted by accident. It is not here by accident. You are not a part of this church by accident. God has a plan for our church in this community. And each and every person here who would say, Carolina Family Church is my, is my church family, has a part to play in that. Listen to this, um, Ephesians, the ne- very next verse, just verse 10. He just said, you've been, you've been saved by faith, not of works, lest anyone should, should boast. So we're not saved by our works, but then we do have work to do. All right, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. His is in capitals, that's God, right? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to point something out very important about the language. and I've never caught this until this week, honestly. When in verses 8 and 9, when Paul's talking about their faith, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that's not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He says you. It's, it's a, it's a, the point of view is the second person. So he's talking about them. You have been saved by faith. But then when he gets to verse 10, he switches to first person and he includes, it's, it's an inclusive plural. It's a first person plural. And he says, for we are his workmanship. So he goes from an individual statement to a corporate statement. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is verse is not just about my personal mission or my personal purpose in life. This is about the purpose of the church and the mission and the plan that God has for the church as a whole. That we are his workmanship. That word word really resonates with me, workmen or workmanship. I I love building things. Most of you, if you know me, you know that. Uh, I consider myself a bit of a craftsman. Okay, So I like, (laughs) I I say that that way, just sarcastically on purpose. But... um, I love the idea of craftsmanship. And when I'm building something, I am very intentional about what goes into it and how it goes together. I'll give you a visual example. 
Y'all know, most, some of you know anyway, I guess I should say, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to build guitars. It's my hobby, okay? And I've been, for a while now, I've been buying cheap guitars, fixing up, reselling them. So this is part of my hobby, and it funds itself so it doesn't touch our family money. It's just kind of like a, like a side hustle thing I got going on. And uh, so, but this, this is the coolest one I think I've ever done. Uh, so if you can't, I don't know if you can see it or not, but that's a skate guitar, all right, so that's a, that is a skateboard where the, where the body is actually a skate deck. I got this idea from a guy who wanted me to build him one, and then I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Here's how much it's going to cost. And he was like, no, never mind. So, uh, <laughs> so I built one for myself anyway, and I actually got another one I'm working on right now. But um, when you build something like this from the ground up, you have to think about every single detail. You, you know, I, was, I went and I found exactly the right deck to put on it because I wanted the right kind of stickers. You know, like, first of all, you can get some very inappropriate stickers on skateboard decks, and I had to steer clear of those. And I wanted the right colors and the right kind of wear because I wanted it to be worn but not too worn for the aesthetic of it. And um, I found these decks, two of them, that have... Uh, stickers from the Eternal Wave Surf Shop in uh, Surfside Beach, South Carolina. And we lived there for a while, and I used to drive by that surf shop every single day. And so uh, I had a personal connection. I was like, that's the deck. That's awesome. And then I had to go find a cheap guitar that I could, you know, salvage all the parts off of in order to make this thing. And so I scoured guitar after guitar after guitar, and I finally found a a Fender Squire that was cheap enough, and the body was all beat up, and I didn't need the body anyway. So I got that, and then I started putting it together and laying out where things were going to go and deciding where the volume and tone knobs were going to be. And the, the, uh, like the, the output jack is a strat from a Stratocaster, but it's flipped upside down, so it goes out instead of in, and making little decisions like that and how I was going to do the back and put a body on it because the skateboard is not thick enough to actually make into a skate, uh, into a guitar. And, and then I decided to paint the top black and I got a rock from my driveway and scraped it up so it would look like it had been scraped on uh, concrete like a skateboard would be and like there's a lot of thought that went into putting every single piece of this together and not only do you have what you see but there's a ton of stuff in here you don't see there's the electronics which exists back in here the uh, potentiometers I chose and the wiring I chose and the jacks and the all the the pickup that's in it and all of that that you don't see and I got to thinking that the level of attention and detail that I put into building something like this is nothing compared to the level of attention to detail and intentionality that God has when he puts together the church. And when he puts together the church, there are pieces that you see and there are pieces that you don't see. There are people that play roles that are very public and there are people that play roles that are very private. But he chooses the right people with the right personalities, with the right motivations, and brings them together into a group to accomplish something very specific. Not to be a skate guitar, but to have a specific mission as a church. And so I want you to know that as we look forward as a church to what God is going to be doing through us, If you're here and you say you're a part of our church family, you have a role to play in this. And I want you to be actively pursuing what your personal role is in the corporate mission that God has given to us. Put this down. And uh, over the last two years, We've spent our time getting to know each other, who we are as a church, okay? Who, getting to know each other personally, who our leaders are going to be, what the personality, so to speak, of our church is, getting our base set, getting our financial affairs in order and making sure we're stable there and making good decisions. 
And I believe that this year, year number three for us, is going to be the year that it pours out from our weekend services and our groups where we've been doing such great things into ministry directly to the community. From the very beginning of our church, we said we are here. There's a reason that we're called Carolina Family Church. It's because A, we're, we're a church family. But we believe that we can have the greatest impact in our community when we help people to honor, uh, learn how to honor God in their family relationships. And so we're going to begin doing things this year that are tangibly going to help people to do that. And I'm just going to kind of tease that idea because next week we're going to go into great detail on exactly what that's going to look like and what the plan is for us this year as we look forward to what God is going to do. I'm going to unveil a vision for ministry through our church that we have not yet talked about publicly that's been in my heart since before we launched the church. And I've talked with some of you as leaders about it privately. I've talked about it at times during our growth track, but never talked about it publicly from stage. Next week, I want to unveil the beginnings of that to you. And I believe that it's something that, frankly, I've never seen a church do before. Not saying it's never been done. I've just never seen a church do it before. And I think it's a kind of ministry that is going to... uh, that is going to make a real, tangible impact in our community, and not just for the sake of our community, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I'm very excited about the opportunity to share that with you, with you next week. It's what um, family is, is who we are as a church, but it's also going to be what we do as a church. And I'm really excited about telling you more about that next year, or next week. It's been, uh, it's been an amazing two years, and I'm really excited about what God has in store for us. And I guess I'll just want to ask this question. The series is called This is Family. My question to you would be, is this your family? Is this your church family? If it's not here, it needs to be somewhere for you. You need to have a body of believers that you, you believe in what you're doing. You're growing together to know God, find hope, to live free and to do good. God will continue to draw us together in community, in fellowship, as a church family. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for bringing us together. It's been, the last two years have just been incredible. And uh, I think I could speak for many people here and say that the relationships that we've been able to build with one another and the foundation on which they're built is making all the difference in our lives personally. It's helping to keep us going. It's helping to keep us focused on you. It's helping, to, it's helping us to know you more, to see you more clearly, to rely on you more, more accurately and more completely. It's helping us to, to get our eyes off of uh, our situations enough that we can look forward to what you have in store for us, to look forward. It's helping us to to understand what it means to live in freedom and to choose to honor you with, with our lives and to try and rise to the highest level of holiness that we can through the knowledge of your word and the empowerment of the spirit. And it's helping us to make an impact in our own lives and in our own community that we couldn't have done on our own. So we thank you for it. God, I pray if there's nobody, or if there's somebody here who has never given their life over to you to become part of your family, they do that now. They put their faith in you. If there's anybody with us who doesn't have a church family that they can say they're relying on and growing with and serving with, that they would make that choice, either whether it's here or whether it's another church where they feel like they can, 
they're, the, they're a part of it, a functional, living, breathing part of a church body. God, you've done so much in our life. You've done so much in our church. And we thank you for all of it. We understand it's not by our own merit. It's not by anything we've done, but only through your grace. And so we say thank you. And we want to honor what you've done in our life by serving you and honoring you with ours. And so we just want to say thank you and tell you we love you and that we're thankful that you've given us each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen.